Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, once again to another episode of Roll Up, the official Phil Singer Games podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Fain, joined, as always, by the tournament master, Todd Gershall, and making his triumphant return to the podcast, the one and only Mike Molesky. Mike, how are you? Oh, I am spectacular and just excited, as always, when I can make it here to spend a little time with you and Todd, Sam. Well, I And all our say- great listeners out there. We have been, yes, yeah, all, all 30 of them. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, we got a lot we, more than that. <laughs> we, got, we, got, we got at least two or three more the, than that. The, the, numbers, the, the numbers don't lie. Um, no, uh, we've been talking a bit uh, prior to hitting that record button, and it's been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, um, you know, having the gang back together here and getting some laughs in. Um, so I'm really looking forward to tonight's episode. Uh, before we do that, I'm going to head over here to Todd. Todd, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, just um, getting ready. We're uh, just a little over a week away from the next virtual convention, which is right. sneaking up fast. I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's going to be a good time. And uh, let's just dive right into our news and notes because the announcement came out tonight. Uh, I was unprepared for it, blindsided me, but the announcement, it's official that Les Thatcher uh, will be joining us for the con, which is awesome. Uh, I get to do a little interview with him. Um, I, I'm a fan of, of Les. Uh, you know, it, again, it's one of those things where I might not agree with everything I've ever heard him say, but more often than not, he gets it right and he clearly knows his stuff. I mean, the guy's got like 50 years. Uh, 60. 60, yeah, 60 years in the business. Um, and uh, what an asset, you know, just to, uh, um, you know, the, the business uh, on the whole and and so many people that he's influenced and, and had a hand in kind of, you know, helping along uh, the way. So it'll be uh, really great to, to speak with him. Um, but yeah, Todd, uh, tell us a little bit about that, what we might uh, expect and any other news on the, uh, on the con. So, uh, yeah, no, it should be, it should be great. Uh, you know, reached out to Les before, uh, yeah, he had, he had reached out to us about, I think, uh, you know, getting some copies of his black and white card when somebody had posted about it. So we were chatting back and forth on Twitter before that. And then when we were coming up with, uh, everything for the con here, um, and looking for a guest, you know, Les was kind of like the perfect fit for what we were looking for and reached out to him and he's like, yeah, no, happy to do it. So very, very thrilled to have, uh, Les as part of, uh, the next virtual convention. Uh, he is going to be, uh, there. He's currently on the schedule from three 30 to 4 PM on the, the, the day. So the, the day is Saturday, January 29th for the Phil Singer games perennial. Uh, so yeah, three 30 to four, he'll be there followed immediately, uh, by the uh, Phil Singer Games panel, we'll, we'll kind of talk about all the new upcoming releases. Uh, I think Tom might be hanging out there, kind of talking about you know some new things that he's uh, you know working on there. At least give some hints on that. Uh, Tom will also be joining us. This is something new from when we last talked. That uh, Tom will be joining the um, the Zoom room there. I think he will be on at uh, you know, from one to two. Uh, he'll be on then. I think the same time that we're doing the uh, Women in the Indies tournament, uh, he'll also be in there and kind of hanging out, you know, throughout the rest of the day after that, maybe during the Legends tournament, he'll still be there for people who are not playing in the tournaments at that point. Nice. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Looking forward, obviously, to seeing him there. Um, 
Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I remember that interaction too when that black and white card was posted and, you know, unless asked for, you know, for copies of it and stuff. So uh, it's great that uh, that he's going to be on board for this. And, you know, you never know what, when one thing is going to just lead to another. Um, and we did want to give him, I know there's been some early speculation. I mean, we just dropped the announcement with Les, uh, Les Thatcher uh, being at the con. I think everybody's thinking the con exclusive card will be Les Thatcher related. I'm going to go out right now and say it is not less Thatcher related. So, so dynamite dropping. <laughs> Boom. Oh, Boom. Now you said dynamite. Everybody's going to think that it's somebody like, you know, AEW related or something. <laughs> you know, let the uh, speculation continue. It's probably incorrect, but Hey, it, it's all cool. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, you know, we're we're like you said, we're a little over a week out uh, by the time this podcast drops, and we've got uh, two uh, special edition cards that you can get only by signing up for uh, the the con, and then of course the tournaments, and, and Tom being there, and then the last Thatcher interview. I mean, it's shaping up to just be one heck of a con uh, once again to to offer. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, the uh, uh, I, I think. You know, the, the, the tournaments, uh, we've got our Memphis tournament. We've got a women's tournament. Um, of course, we're going to have COTG tournaments. Uh, Todd, do you want to talk any more about the tournaments at all? Since, you know, you are the tournament master. Well, of course. Yeah, no, we're <laughs> going to kick, we're going to kick off the day, uh, with a, with a unique tournament, the, uh, FTR black hole, uh, championship yes. tournament. So that one is going to be, I think I picked out the, uh, the eight competitors for that though. Assuming we have eight people there. Um, it's going to be loser advances. So it should be some interesting strategy kind of seeing, you know, trying to get yourself to lose and get your, your opponent in position uh, to beat you. Uh, should right. be uh, kind of interesting uh, for that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I look forward to seeing what, what people are, are going to do with that one. Um and then uh, that Memphis tournament, I know there's been a lot of questions and this has already been addressed. So, you know, we don't necessarily need to go over it in detail, but uh, obviously this will not just be limited to the latest Legends set. There will be, of course, other Memphis Legends that appeared uh, in, in the Legends of Wrestling card line as well. Um, do you know how many people are going to, or how many wrestlers are going to be in that tournament? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it won't be any more than 32, uh, but yeah, I'm still, I'm going to be sending out the survey to everybody uh, probably soon after this podcast drops, uh, you know, but before the weekend, it, uh, you'll get the survey out there. Um, and I need to hear back from everybody by next Thursday, the 27th. I'll kind of cut things off then so I can get all the brackets finalized and get that out to everybody so they know who they're, uh, who they're going to be, when they're going to face, what tournaments they're going to be part of. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll send out the survey pretty soon um, and then find out from there how many. Uh, usually, with that, whatever the Legends tournament tends to be our biggest tournament, that's usually, you know, a lot more people want to participate in that. I think almost everybody in the staff usually wants to participate in that one too. So I'll probably expand that one out to be a little bit more, maybe 32 if we have enough people that want to participate in that. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and anything else about, about the con or any of the tournaments that we want to mention before we move on to our, our next bit? Uh, let's see. The only other thing I will mention, we have the, you know, nothing else with the, the, the tournaments there, but uh, there, again, there will be prizes for all the tournaments. I'll, I'll uh, try to have that for us for next week. 
on the podcast to announce what those prizes are. Nice. Um, and then um, we will be having a small auction as well to kind of kick off our fundraising for the uh, George Tragos Luthes Hall of Fame. Um, uh, Les Thatcher, I will say one of the prizes, one of the things that will be in there, Les has agreed to, he will sign uh, and personalize a copy of his uh, current playing card, uh, the black and white playing card. He will personalize oh, nice. that for somebody uh, who who wins that auction uh, there, but there'll be some other fun things as well. I think uh, some other kind of rare cards, uh, you know, a couple other collectibles, things like that that we have. Um, and then I think some people have all, you know, some people have submitted some stuff to donate as well already, too. Uh, like you know, during the year, I'll, I'll probably put some of that up now, but uh, probably the majority of it will will save for the uh, um, for the big auction in July. Very cool. Uh, very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what the uh, items will be, not only obviously for the upcoming con, but uh, I think Galacticon will probably be another uh, pretty darn cool uh, uh, assortment of items for auction. And I, and I will announce one of the big ticket items at the con, this con, this uh, the virtual con, what one of the big ticket items in July will be. Ooh. I have one of those ready to come. Making it very appropriate for the uh, for the location. Nice, nice. All right, all right. I think I know what it is. Uh, but I will be quiet. No one will get a word out of me. Nobody, nobody. Or Mike will take away my privileges. Isn't that right, Mike? Darn tootin'. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of, Mike, I'm going to pivot over to you now um, for our next bit of news and notes, something that certainly people are asking about over on the Facebook group as well as on the boards. And that would be uh, an update for the Ringside Companion. What can you tell us, sir? What's a Ringside Companion? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just teasing. Um, Gosh, I wish I didn't know what the ringside companion is based on what a process this has been. I, I think we've um, exhaustively uh, found our uh, last changes that we're going to make, and we've decided that we're just going to go ahead and start going to production. I, we don't have a final production date yet um, in terms of when this will all be wrapped up and finished and in Todd's hands for a mailer at this time yet, but the goal is to have it very soon to folks. Um, I'll just say that. I don't want to give a date out and have Todd then deal with complaints when it's two days later or something like that. Uh, or if something were to go wrong, uh, you know, as we, as we all know, in the uh, world of printing machines sometimes break. Um, so I hate to, same thing, but we are going to start the production process. Uh, I would think, um, you know, by the time this episode is dropped. So hopefully, oh, nice. uh, we'll be looking at what the what the initial proofs look like, and then hopefully going to into full scale production sometime after this episode drops. So that's the hope. So we'll we will give as soon as we have an actual more firm date that we will we will drop that uh, i think todd will send an email out to folks yeah. to kind of update people and but we are you know the, the, i am sh sure that someone will open this booklet and say hey I, why is this this way or why can't we change it to, <laughs> why wasn't it changed to that and you know uh but i could tell you that th there was a whole 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 lot of work that's been put into this thing even since we announced that we were pushing it back um, there's been a ton of work done, um, you know, kudos to, 
um, you know, Tim, Chad, Corey, Todd, uh, you know, a lot of folks really spending some time on this one. I'll just yeah. say that. Yeah. So, um, the, I, I could tell you that, um, the hourly wage is very low. on this project. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's okay. I think everybody's going to really enjoy it. I like, um, you know, it's, it, we have never done anything, um, this comprehensive before. So I, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be something that, uh, folks really dig. So, and they'll get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Um, so we're looking forward to you having it, believe it or not, more than you're looking forward to getting it. If you're listening to this podcast. Yep. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it being done and in the mail. And yes, I'd be very, very happy. Well, I mean, I, I think obviously, you know, folks are really looking forward to, to having it in their hands, but at the same time, uh, I, I think that there's been good reason for, you know, any, any delay and that once it, it arrives, you know, like you said, inevitably there might be something that some people, you know, someone finds, um, but it's going to be well, well, well worth the wait. Uh, there's a lot of incredible content in there. And again, I think to be able to have it all in one place uh, in the format that has been discussed is just uh, super cool. And the, you know, the fact that we're going to get a volume two, I mean, these two tomes are going to be essentials for promoters going forward. And, um, you know, it's one of those things I'm of the mind where I know we've been waiting for, you know, updates uh, to, to ring side companion or a new ringside companion for a while now and the fact that it's coming to fruition is enough for me to to be more than happy with uh, uh waiting just a little a little bit longer so um i'm looking forward to it a lot of people are looking forward to it and, and you know ultimately it'll, it'll get there when it gets there so um 2022 is the year uh so any any other news and notes from fed hq no i think we're saving a lot of the big ones uh for the perennial so yeah, 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 it makes sense. We don't want to, we don't want to spoil everything. Um, so uh, I want to get out to a couple of quick shout outs before we get into our main event. Uh, I want to start off with uh, one to our friend, uh, Justin Bulka, Pike Mojo. Of course, he's got lots of new updates to the classic wrestling articles website. Uh, I, I meant to mention this last week and, and unfortunately just, uh, just forgot it, but um, I, I get emails, you know, every time there's a, an update or a new article added to the site. And uh, I've just been getting so many of them over the past couple of weeks because he's been adding a lot of cool stuff. And uh, you know, the thing that's amazing about it is that like i'll get a batch of emails and i'll just automatically think that okay all these articles must be kind of you know connected in some way but oftentimes you know i'm getting something that's from the 20s and then something from the 60s and you know and so on and it's just such a wonderful wonderful resource there's a wealth of information there uh you know i i always uh delight in, in taking a look and seeing what uh what's new because it's just it's again it's just incredible kind of the breadth of the collection that he's assembled over there um also i want to give a shout out to Troy, KB, The Faction, Sinestro24, LA, Wraith, J-Row7, Jerk Bronson, Bigfoot Yeti, Crewfan68, Wayne, Vegas, and Lee for their comments on last week's episode uh, over on the message board. Uh, and of course, another thanks to Grant for joining us last week, for giving us just a, one heck of a, a fun interview. Had such a blast. And um, just on, on a personal note, I, I want to say thank you very, very much, Grant. Um, he did something very kind that, that was not necessary, but I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, I will enjoy it very much. Um, all that said, I think it's time to get to our main event. What do you say, gentlemen? Ring the bell. 
<laughs> We've got the legend spotlight, and this week it is none other than Rowdy Roddy Piper. He is a favorite of many promoters out there, myself included, and of course the two guys who are joining me tonight. This is going to be a lot of fun. Um, we certainly want to talk about uh, his career and his upbringing, uh, but we want to spend, I think, more time talking about some of our personal memories uh, and, and favorite moments uh, that, that we have uh, of Piper, uh, as well as talking about maybe how we've used him in our Fed and and you know our thoughts on the card. And I know Mike has some uh, some stories. I'm hoping that he'll tell about you know how the color card came to be, which you know, I think most people know by now, but, uh, it'd be lovely to, to hear a little bit more about that. Um, so I'll get us started here. Uh, and that, you know, the best place to start, of course, is the beginning. Uh, and Roderick George Toombs was born April 17th, 1954 in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Um, his dad worked for the Canadian National Railway and he was a, uh, security officer, sort of a, you know, railroad cop, uh, and they moved around a lot. Um, he, he'd lived, you know, at about nine different places by the time he was 10 years old. Um, his dad was a pretty stern guy. You know, Roddy was the youngest of a family. Um, and he, he kind of never really felt like he belonged. He never really felt wanted, especially when it came to his father. Um, he got in a lot of fights when he was a kid. Uh, he's, he's on the record as saying that anytime he got to a new town, a new place, he always felt like he had to prove himself. And one of the ways he did that was by fighting. Um, and he would inevitably get in a fight, you know, at school or whatnot. And then he'd come home and his dad would be pissed because he got into a fight. And then he'd get into another fight at home uh, with his dad, you know, and there was, there was definitely some abuse uh, in his, in his household. And it affected him, you know, greatly throughout the rest of his life to the point that, you know, he said he never raised a hand against his own kids. And that was something that he, he never believed in, you know, it was violence as, as, as a tool um, with, uh, with raising kids. Um, eventually he, uh, he, he turned to uh, sports like wrestling and boxing, and he also took up the bagpipes. Um, he, he really doesn't, in any story that I've heard, he doesn't really remember exactly how it happened. It's just one day the bagpipes were there for him and he loved them. He loved the bagpipes. He played them a lot. Um, and he kind of saw the, you know, between the bagpipes and, and his wrestling and his boxing, those were kind of his way, his ways out. Uh, and eventually, um, you know, he got into a fight with his dad and he, he left the house when he was about 15 years old and never, never went back. Um, he was sleeping in YMCA's youth hostels, uh, you know, any place he could kind of, you know, find a meal. Uh, and eventually after, you know, getting in quite a bit of trouble and, you know, having to kind of, uh, talk his way out, fight his way out. Uh, he wound up in, in sort of the care of, uh, of Father O'Malley, as he tells the story. And Father O'Malley told him, you know, you're either going to wind up dead or in prison where they're going to rape and kill you, not necessarily in that order. And he said, I'll give you, I'll give you uh, an out. I can get you a job wrestling for 25 bucks. And, you know, that was, that was a huge amount of money to Piper back then. So Piper said, all right, I'll do it. And uh, Al Tomko uh, was the promoter in Winnipeg, uh, which is where Piper was at the time. And eventually Piper started wrestling. Um, he always tells the story that his first match was against Larry Henning. He had had some matches before that. Um, but, you know, certainly the the most important, you know, match in, in his early career, his former years, was the match with Larry Henning, which set uh, a, a, a record because it was such a short match uh, or one of the shortest matches in Winnipeg history, according to the newspapers. Um, and uh, as, as Piper has told the story, you know, Hennig broke his nose, which apparently was not actually the case. Um, and uh, that, that 
they they liked him so much in you know in spite of his his short time in the ring that uh al tomko who had promoted a lot with the awa and henning of course who was a big part of the awa at the time uh were all like hey kid you know let's let's get you down into minneapolis and see what happens he was only in minneapolis for like a cup of coffee he, he didn't actually wrestle like in the territory but he was in minneapolis he was in houston he was you know he went to a bunch of different territories where he'd wrestle like a week and they'd move on to the next territory and eventually he wound up in kansas city which was his first territory that he spent time in uh at any length and that was where he really started to become a wrestler he wasn't just doing you know jobs in five minutes um I'm curious, uh, uh, you know, I'll start with you, Mike. Uh, what, um, are, what do you know uh, about, you know, Piper's early days and, and as far as like, you know, his, his formative years, is there anything that sticks out to you that you've heard or read, um, you know, in the, in, in the past, any interviews? Well, I mean, well, I guess that's it. You know, I, I've seen some interviews with, with Piper. I've seen, um, some of the stuff out there. I mean, kind of it's, it's interesting because you don't have a lot of myths anymore, you know, like, you know, tall tales stories. And, and it's almost like Roddy Piper's backstory is like this mythical tall tale. Like, yeah. you know, he, you know, he snuck into the country in the back of a truck, uh, you know, a trunk, you know, that's I mean, right. like, I don't know if that's true or not true really. I mean, but that's what he says and that's what's out there. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, for, for a character like he was to have a background that's that, whether it's true or it's not, or it's somewhat true in some embellishment, whatever it is, it's awesome that it's, yeah, that's Piper, right? It, it, it's wrestling, you know, right, right. perfect wrestling, embodiment of wrestling. <laughs> I, I completely agree. I, you know, it's funny because during, you know, doing the research and, and, and it honestly, it didn't take a lot of research because I'd already read quite a bit about him and watched quite a few documentaries. And I'll get into the sources later because I certainly want people to be able to do their own reading and their own watching. Um, so I'll, I'll certainly let everybody know the, the stuff that I use, but, uh, one of the things that I ended up writing is that sometimes I think if Roddy Piper's life were made into a movie, people wouldn't believe most of it because the circumstances of his ascent into wrestling are so fantastic. Um, and well, that's, that's and, the word I think Sam is it's yeah. fantastic. Like, and that's what, and for a larger than life character, like Rowdy Roddy Piper, the, the story Again, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Right. It doesn't really. You you believe it could be true based on who he became. And yeah. that's to me the best part is how many things in in this world are people willing to accept without proof? You know, yeah. like and with him you go, yeah. Probably true. That. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I, like you mentioned the, the story about him, you know, getting over the border. Uh, I, I tend to believe that one, you know, Al Tomko ha had this big van and, you know, that, that Piper was like sleeping on the bed in the back of the van or whatever. And Tomko just told him, he's like, oh yeah, it's my son in the back. And they just let him over. And at the time, you know, Piper was young. This would have been, you know, he was like, he was like 17 years old, 18 years old, something like that. And, uh, you know, he was illegal for like, the first two years that he was in the country. Um, and some of the stories that he tells, you know, they are, they are somewhat fantastic. One that I don't necessarily know whether or not to believe, but again, I don't know whether to believe or not is when he went down to Dallas and he was working in Dallas and uh, you know, Red Bastien and Bronco Lubitsch were the bookers at the time. And of course, Fritz owned the territory by then. Um, or he, or he was about ready to own the territory at that point. Uh, and he wanted to get, Fritz wanted to get more people 
into the sportatorium. And the fire marshal, of course, was, you know, kind of breathing down their necks because, you know, they didn't they couldn't have more people. And so the, the story goes is that Fritz von Erich apparently told Roddy Piper that his job was to convince the fire marshal's daughter by any means necessary that she was a wrestling fan. And because she was a wrestling fan, she would convince her dad to let him have 400 more people into the sportatorium. Now, who knows if that's true or not? But man, I hope it is. Because <laughs> the idea of a young, fresh-faced Piper, you know, just just working his way in with this girl and getting her to convince her dad to just let him have more people. Dad, wrestling's awesome. It's just too good uh, to not be true, you know? Um, after his Unless time, you can track down that fire marshal's daughter. Yeah, think, right. You know, he talks about uh, in some interviews, he talks about how much he loved the Von Erich kids. And at this point, they were kids because this would have been in like 75 or so. So, you know, at that point, uh, I think uh, I can't I, you know, my history is a little fuzzy based on the year. But I think maybe David had just started wrestling. Um, but I don't think that uh, that the rest of them, maybe maybe Kevin had done a little bit. Um but uh, he talks about just, you know, how much he really loved the kids. And he thought that, you know, um, Carrie was, you know, kind of wild, even even at that point, uh, which, you know, I think, again, Carrie would have been, you know, in high school, maybe uh, maybe even younger, uh, you know, junior high ish. Um, but uh uh, yeah, just, just, just to think, uh, about a young Piper, you know, hanging out with, you know, young Von Eric boys, um, is, is a legend to behold considering some of the activities that we know that they all got up to later. Um, that said, all of this was really kind of a prelude to Piper's eventual ascent into greatness because that happened in Southern California. Um, the importance of Roddy Piper's time in Southern California, both for Roddy Piper and for the territory, cannot be understated. Without Roddy Piper, Southern California's territory would have probably just, it would have died sooner than it did. And without Southern California, I don't know that Roddy Piper would have ever become rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, when he arrived, he was, you know, he was doing jobs. Uh, he was not you know, meant to to do much more than that. They they kind of thought he was just uh, much as he had done for most of his career. He'd be in and out. You know, he'd, he'd be there for you know maybe a few weeks, maybe a couple months, and then they'd go to the next place. Um, so much so that Mike LaBelle didn't really think much of him, and uh, it, it was Leo Garibaldi who kind of saw something in this kid and thought we can do something special with him uh, and decided one night that he was going to turn him heel down in San Diego. And uh, as the story goes in rock rims, amazing legends and icons book, uh, Leo Garibaldi was told, if you turn him heel in San Diego, I'm going to fire you. And Garibaldi said, I'm going to do it anyway. And so Mike LaBelle went down there to, to tell him, don't do this. You know, you're going to, you're going to get fired. And he's like, just Mike, just watch. You ever have one of those moments where even as the words are coming out of your mouth, you know that they're the wrong ones? Well, this was one of those moments, promoters. It wasn't Mike LaBelle that went down to San Diego. Mike LaBelle was safe and comfortable in Los Angeles, California, where he promoted the Olympic Auditorium and most of Southern California. He was the promoter. He sent someone down to talk to Leo Garibaldi and tell him not to turn Piper heel. Leo convinced that person that it was the right decision, and he ended up going back to Mike LaBelle and saying it was the right decision. That said, I left things unaltered and didn't correct myself in the moment because I just wasn't sure it was a bit of a brain fog. That said, 
the story continues. Just watch what he does. And so he got him in the ring with Tony Rocco and, uh, and turned him heel. And what Piper did during that match was enough to sell Mike LaBelle, which ended up, you know, selling everybody else in the territory. And needless to say, Leo Garibaldi didn't lose his job. And Piper was kind of off to the races at that point. Although funny enough, initially his spot was not going to be his spot. Java Rook, better known as Johnny Rods, uh, had come into the territory and won a battle royal. And Java Rook was supposed to kind of be the next big heel in the territory. And uh, Java Rook was going to be put with Rock Riddle as his manager. And the idea is, is that Java Rook would go up against the biggest babyface, who at the time was Chavo Guerrero. And the idea is that Riddle would get heat for Java Rook by insulting Mexicans and Mexican-Americans. And Rock Riddle wasn't very comfortable with doing that. So Rock Riddle said, I don't want to do this. It's not my gig. And so because of that, they decided to give the job to Piper. Uh, And at first people were like, you're crazy. The kids never had a mic, you know, whatever. And Garibaldi's like, just let him go out there and talk. He had Rock Riddle give him some pointers. Apparently Rock Riddle said, if you go out there and do all this, you're going to get stabbed which actually came to fruition at one point. But before that could happen, uh, Piper went out there and he was basically Java Rook's manager and he was delivering all the promos to build to this big feud with Chavo Guerrero. However, before that could actually take off, Java Rook, Johnny Rods, decided to head back to New York. And he didn't really tell anybody he was going until he was already halfway out the door. Uh, the promoters couldn't believe it. They were like, what are you doing? We've built you up. We did all this you know, stuff for you. We had you win the Battle Royal. We've set the whole program up for you to have this run with Chavo Guerrero. He's, you know, he's your bigger, biggest baby face. You're going to make a bunch of money. And Chavo Rook's like, I'm leaving. That's all there is to it. They even called Vince McMahon Sr. And Vince is like, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'll talk to him when he gets here and we'll see what happens. Luckily, Johnny Rods decided not to go back to Southern California and Roddy Piper stuck around and Piper was put into that spot. And all of a sudden, Piper was no longer just the mouthpiece. He was going to be the guy doing it in the ring. And his feud with Chavo Guerrero not only helped to put Piper on the mat on the map, but it also, again, helped to extend the life of the territory. Uh, In fact, I even I reached out to Rock Rims and I asked Rock, you know, just what that feud meant to the territory uh and in in his exact words i felt were pretty uh illuminating he, he said that chavo was already a huge hit in la but the chemistry they had took things to another level that neither of them would have reached without the other uh his feud with the entire guerrero family extended the life of the territory I mean, when you when you can say that 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 a feud extended the life of the territory, and that you know that that this chemistry that Piper was able to bring to the table with someone who already was the biggest babyface in the territory, I think that it just you know that really drives home the importance um, of Piper to the territory. But uh, you know, you could also make the argument that. Piper's chance to shine in that territory also is what helped to put Piper on the map because on the map, excuse me, I keep saying map because, you know, wrestling mat, I guess. But anyway, uh, the fact that 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 they were able to do what they did over the course uh, of a few years is is pretty incredible. And there's so many amazing stories about their feud. Um, One of my favorites is that uh, they feuded over this thing called the Jules Strongbow Scientific Trophy, which was a, a trophy that the Southern California Territory had as kind of one of their titles and um the scientific trophy was held by uh chavo at one point piper beat him for it and piper threatened to uh 
retire the trophy so that Chavo couldn't get a return match for it. And finally Chavo set it up so that uh, they would, you know, he would offer his hair up in a hair versus the trophy match. If Piper would take the match and, you know, Piper of course, being the the smarmy heel that he was at the time was like, you know, you're going to put your hair on the line. Of course, I'm going to take the match. Uh, Chavo ended up winning the match. So he won the trophy back. Piper of course wanted, you know, another crack at the trophy. And now Chavo says, you're going to have to put your hair up for it. And uh, what should happen of course, but Piper loses that match and they shave Roddy Piper bald. Uh, And uh, apparently Later on, uh, his daughter was shown a picture uh, of him after he'd had his head shaved, and she, uh, she she was kind of blown away by it, especially by the fact that with his head shaved, she thought that he looked exactly like her brother, you know, Roddy's son, Colt. Um, but their feud is legendary, and, and I would encourage everybody to, to seek out, uh, you know, what little footage uh, of that remains. And, and certainly uh, Rock's book, Legends and Icons, provides just such a wonderful rundown of the entire feud. Um, but it, but it just speaks a lot about how important that that was uh, for that time. And, and, and it really helped to shape Piper because the other thing you have to remember is when this feud started, Roddy Piper was 26 years old. Actually, or excuse me, excuse me. It was 1976. He was 22 years old. But when the feud actually started, he was only 21. He was 21 years old when they handed him a mic and told him to kind of go to the races. It was February of 1976. Um, and he would end up remaining in that territory for nearly three years. And during that time, almost entirely his feud was with the Guerrero family. Um, he would end up losing a a loser leaves town match and he would come back as the masked Canadian, which you've not seen photos of him as the masked Canadian. They are pretty hilarious. So I would encourage you to check them out. Um, Todd, um, what have you heard and uh, what's kind of your knowledge of his time in, in Los Angeles? Um, and do you have, you know, any, any, any memories or anything that you've uh, heard over the years uh, about his time there? I will tell you, I know very, very little about that time. I do know, I yeah, obviously have heard that that's kind of where he got his kind of notoriety or kind of start in his, you know, heelish, um, you know, working as a heel. Um, but yeah, just kind of hearing some of the stories from you here, I was probably, you know, some more that I, you know, be a little bit more colored than what I've read beyond Wikipedia, to be quite honest. Although I'm looking right now at the, the, uh, picture of him as the mass Canadian. And that is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Mike, your thoughts on Piper's time in LA. The, the mass Piper, uh, the mass Canadian uh, thing is ridiculous. The one photo <laughs> I just found of it is yeah. pretty remarkably uh, ridiculous. Um, you know, I, I think the, and, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how much we're going to go into each of the different pieces of his career, uh, Sam, but I think the real thing about Piper was no matter where he went, he rose to the top and he was so dynamic that he could work with almost anybody and create a promo. Even if he never stepped foot in a ring, he could make you want to see that match. Um, He knew how to push people's buttons. He knew how to get the best out of the guy he was talking to. Um, You know, it was, he really just was so talented and, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he extended the life of, a territory he was in that was maybe on its way down because 
he had that ability just to make you watch. He was one of those guys who um, I will never forget, you know, as a kid, you know, seeing I lived in the Northeast. So I didn't really see much of him until whatever that was, 1984, um, you know, when, when he when he came to WWF. Uh, but, man, I never forgot it. And right. I I I hated him. I mean, I, I hated the guy as, as a, as a kid and, you know, I loved Hulk Hogan and, you know, the two reasons I loved Hulk Hogan were Rowdy Roddy Piper and Bobby the Brain Heenan. I mean, you know, those two guys knew how to really put people over and I put, you know, I mean, anybody who's listened to me talk about Bobby Heenan before knows exactly how, what esteem I hold um, Bobby, um, having had the pleasure of meeting him once, uh, uh, I was, um, you know, thrilled with it. Um, I never got to meet Piper, uh, but man, I put his work just in elevating people around him right there with Bobby Heenan. I think he was just absolutely outstanding. Yeah. Uh, without a doubt. And I think that what he became as a result of his work in Southern California really set the table for everything that he did afterwards. Um, you know, while he was there, he made a lot of the connections too that would further his career, you know, and kind of lead to the next gig. Um, another thing that speaks, I think, to the, the viability uh, of Piper as a performer and his feud with Chavo Guerrero is that it was one of those rare feuds in the, in the early days, you know, in that early days, I suppose we're talking mid seventies, but in the days of the territories that actually went on tour, they, their feud was so hot that other territories wanted to bring them in for special shows. So they worked, you know, they worked all throughout the Southwest uh, they worked, they even worked a couple of shows in Mexico because their feud was so hot. Um, of course, but that's just it. You have here, you have a, a fed that's on the decline, right, Sam? And then next thing you know, people are trying to borrow the main event. Right. Right. I mean, that, yeah. like, like it, it's it, it goes from being, you know, you know, on its way down to all of a sudden it's the hottest thing ever. And if you look, you know, he does that there as a heel. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, feuding with with the Guerreros. I mean, that, that that's going to he's going to be the heel. But then, you know, when he goes to, you know, you know, the mid-Atlantic and Georgia. He winds up turning babyface, right? right? He goes from being this horrible, vile, d d despicable guy to saving Gordon Soley, right? I mean, right. Like, like, it's like, hey, let's let's totally flip the script. I'm going to be the good guy. He does Starcade, you know, in the dog collar match against Greg Valentine wrestling as a babyface. Right. And he turns right around and becomes a despicable heel again, like within, I forget, was it a month? Two months. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because he, he. I mean, it's he, like it's like boom. He wrapped up in December of '83 in Crockett, and he was, and by late January, early February of '84, he was uh, in New York. Um, yeah, I want to go back real quick uh, again, just because I really wanted to focus on his time in in California because I feel like it's sure. so important, and I feel like it's it's one of those areas of his career that a lot of people don't necessarily know as much about or aren't as familiar with. Because one of the things that you notice in a lot of the documentaries that have been made about Piper up until this recent AND biography, California often gets short shrift and Piper puts it over, you know, whenever it is mentioned, but you look at like born to controversy, you look at like um, legends of wrestling on, on the, the network. You look at a lot of these places where they talk about his career and, you know, generally like Portland gets mentioned 
you know, Georgia might get mentioned a little bit, but oftentimes if they spend any time on anything outside of WWE, WWF, it's, it's mid Atlantic. Uh, so I really did want to spend a little bit of time on it. And one of the things too, that, you know, he was so good at, um, you know, right away, of course, was his mic work. The other thing though, it's the little intangibles that go along with that, uh, things, you know, just the, the way he walked, the way he carried himself, uh, you know, the fact that he, you know, it wasn't always about what he did in the ring. It was about those times when maybe he was managing a guy or, you know, he was a second to somebody in the ring or he was a special referee or he, you know, they found ways for him to kind of keep his heat that did not always involve what he was doing in the ring. And the thing is, is the other thing that's amazing in Southern California is he lost matches more than he won. And yet, miraculously, he always kept his heat. You know, they were always able to do something after the match or, you know, on the next show where he would give an interview or whatever that, that really kept his heat. And when you consider the fact that we're talking about almost three years, that's pretty remarkable uh, for, for a run in a territory in the 70s. Um, a couple of things I wanted to point out too is that in 76, when he came to Southern California, they were they had this special thing called the bicentennial rules, which I just thought were hilarious uh, because they weren't that different from what a lot of other territories had as rules. But I guess that Southern California had, you know, had a reputation for being, you know, pretty wild, obviously, like Tolos and Blassie before them had a pretty bloody feud and that sort of stuff. So in 76, they they instituted these things called the bicentennial rules, which meant no Texas death matches, no pile drivers, no over-the-top rope, no, you know, all these sort of classic, like you can't do any of this stuff or you'll be disqualified kind of stuff. And naturally, you know, Piper's job was to try to break every single one of those rules. Um, what you do, you establish the rules so you have something to break. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> uh, another thing that he, you know, that he was quite famous for at the time is he had uh, shirts made up and uh, these t-shirts often said, horrible things, <laughs> things that today, you know, no one would ever even think of trying to put on their shirt, but like, uh, you know, anything he could do to rile up the, 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 the Mexican or Mexican American crowd, he would do it. And, and oftentimes, you know, his shirts would have these inflammatory messages on them. Um, you, you know, or, or they would say things like I beat Chavo or, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, and of course, probably the most famous thing that he did at the time, uh, was he came to the ring with his bagpipes and he had promised as, as a result of a match that he would play the Mexican national anthem. And he got into the ring with his bagpipes and he ended up playing La Cucaracha and the crowd went nuts. There was, there was a riot. They had to, you know, get him backstage and, and, and on his way back, uh, he'd been stabbed. He got back there. He was bleeding. And they were like, what happened? And he's like, I, somebody stabbed me. And, uh, and sure enough, rock riddles prophecy had come true. You know, if you, if you take this gig, you're going to get stabbed. Uh, now again, one of those things that could be apocryphal is that, uh, Apparently, police confiscated a gun at one point in the Olympic Auditorium uh, in Los Angeles, and that uh, one of the bullets found inside the gun had Piper's name uh, etched on it. Um, that's what he said they told him. Uh, so he was, I mean, he was just the most hated person in the territory. Um and even after the whole masked Canadian gimmick thing uh, took place, everybody knew it was Piper. Everyone knew that it was Piper under the under the mask. Um, just look at the picture. Yeah, just look it's at the pretty picture. Pretty hard, exactly. Hard to tell. You know, it's uh, 
Another, you know, another stint that he had, uh, which again, you know, much like Mike, you mentioned earlier about the fact that, you know, they wanted the main event in other territories, uh, is that big time wrestling up in San Francisco, uh, their, their biggest baby face at the time was Moondog Maine. And, uh, and sure enough, who should come to San Francisco to challenge the Moondog, but Roddy Piper and, and, you know, Maine and Piper had a, just a bloody, bloody, bloody feud up there. Uh, apparently in their first match, you know, Piper went up there and said that, you know, um, uh, that he was the only man with any guts to face Moondog Maine, but he thought that Moondog Maine was a coward and et cetera, et cetera. And eventually, you know, they got in the ring and yeah, it was just a, a bloodbath. Um, Piper ended up beating him, became the U S champion for a while. And then of course, you, you know, dropped the title back to Maine. Then he went back to LA for kind of one last run. Uh, and, and in, in a, again, in a way that speaks to the importance of the feud, the last match that Piper had with Chavo Guerrero was literally for all the titles. It was for the America's title, which was their top belt, uh, which Chavo held. And then Piper held at that time the Beat the Champ TV title. He held the uh, aforementioned um, um, Jules Strongbow Scientific Trophy, and he was one half of the tag team champions. And the idea was winner take all. Whoever wins this match would hold all the belts. Uh, and it was the big blow off. And of course, Chavo won the match and took all the titles. And, and then Piper would, of course, go to his next territory, which is Portland. Um, don't necessarily want to spend a ton of time on Portland. Obviously, Portland was huge to Piper's career. Again, you know, Mike, like you were talking about earlier, a perfect example of Piper's ability to you know, have been this hated heel, uh, you know, in California and then come up to Portland and, you know, become a baby face and, and, you know, and take on Buddy Rose and, and kind of straddle the line at times, you know, was he a baby face? Was he a heel? Um, and, and obviously be incredibly important to the Portland territory. That's also where he met his wife. Um, you know, at that point in his career, it's kind of funny to think we're talking about a guy who was 24, 25 years old, and had already done so much that now you had, you know, rookies coming to the territory looking up to him. Matt Bourne, for instance, famously talks about like Piper was a guy that taught him so much. And we're talking about Piper was 24 years old and he was already doing that. Um, Mike, thoughts on, on Piper's run in Portland? Well, as I was saying earlier, I didn't see any of that, you know, at the time, right? I mean, I was young. It was... TV that I never saw, but, uh, you know, I mean, the mere fact that people still talk about it, you know, what he did in Portland, I think that's really what you need to know is he was so noteworthy. He was so, and I was saying this earlier, just his versatility, how he could go from being like the ultimate bad guy at the Southern border to being the baby face at the Northern border. Right. And he just seamlessly moves between these roles to me, that's the notable thing about uh, the most notable thing about his career was, I mean, he could just be whatever he needed to be when he needed to be it. And, and even as a young man, as you said, at age 24 or whatever he was, that he was able to do that. I mean, most young guys, they give him a role and, you know, that's what they do for a long time, right? You know, it's like five years, they'll, they'll sort of be in that role. And then one day they'll say, okay, time to give you a switch kid. But right. it, it was Piper. I, I think it was uh, it was amazing how he was able to to just find his way no matter what you know, the role was in that territory. And I think part of it, he probably felt like he had to do it. Like this is his way of survival. I think you know survival instinct. You know, figure out a way to do it. But he had the personality to you know really make that happen. 
Um, and as you said, like, you know, his run in pipe, you know, Piper's run in Portland, obviously it's one of the biggest ones. I know, you know, recently, uh, you know, an AEW MJF was kind of going through all the different guys and guys known in different cities, you know, and called out bigger than Piper in Portland, you know, like that, that's, it's, it's amongst one of the top ones you think of, you yeah. know, when you think of Roddy Piper is, is that run there. And obviously, you know, he means so much to Portland. Now. I mean, that's so much to Portland later on. He was, you know, that's where he decided to, uh, you know, live afterwards, obviously meeting his wife there and whatnot, uh, had a big influence on that, but uh, right. yeah, I'm sure it meant a lot to him that, that run there. Yeah. Uh, there's some great stories uh, from, from that territory. And one that I want to, want to mention is that uh, Rick Martell came into the territory and he had this beautiful black Trans Am and he and Piper got to be friends and uh, he, you know, and Piper would joke with him about how, uh, how much he loved his Trans Am and, uh, and they were out for a drive and uh, apparently, you know, uh, according to uh, Rick Martell, as he tells the story, it was it was apparently around the times that Mount St. Helens erupted. And so he's got this beautiful black, brand new black Trans Am that he's driving with Piper. And uh, the next thing they know, the car is just covered in ash. And, you know, of course, Piper's sitting there like, you know, trying to figure out how they're going to navigate through this, you know, this post-apocalyptic landscape that they now find themselves in. And Martel is worried about, you know, ruining, you know, whether his car is going to get ruined. Uh, and, and, and I think by the end of it, of course, they, they wreck the car because they can't see where they're going. But, um, but yeah, there's just, there's, there's, there's so many great stories, great angles, great feuds, great, great matches um, from his time in Portland. And I think a lot of that just has to do with by the time he got to Portland, he had, you know, he'd really kind of formulated everything that he needed to do to be great. You know, he was already great when he got there. Uh, and, you know, his next stop along the road, you know, would be, would be Georgia. When he went down to Georgia, uh, I think one of the things that, that kind of, you know, got him so over and so well known in the territory was the time that he spent at the announce desk with Gordon Soley. It wasn't even the stuff that he was doing in the ring. It was the fact that he was, you know, he was kind of coast in the show and calling the matches with Gordon Soley. Um, you know, it should be mentioned at this time that of course, you know, Piper was pretty notorious as being pretty wild. And uh, he, you know, at this, at this time, he kind of moved on from uh, just, you know, having a few drinks with the boys to uh, other substances, you know, cocaine being kind of chief among them. Uh, and that this rubbed uh, uh, the Booker Ole Anderson the wrong way. And uh, in spite of, you know, Piper's uh, kind of just, I mean, amazing um, feud that he had with Bar Bob Armstrong, the writing was on the wall that Georgia was kind of dried up for him. And that's when he ended up heading over to Crockett. Um, and while he was there, you know, he faced everybody, you know, whether it was Flair or Steamboat or, you know what I mean? Like he was, he was, and he was always towards the top of the card. Uh, again, you know, did similar stuff to what he had done in Georgia where he would, you know, go behind the announce desk from time to time. He's cutting these magical promos. Um, and, and, and I think the thing that, uh, a lot of people knew him for, and still to this day, think of when they think of his pre-WWF days is his feud with Greg the Hammer Valentine, which culminated, of course, in the Starcade match. Todd, like, do you recall when you first heard about that match or saw that match? I mean, it was, you know, well after that time, I think just kind of hearing sure, about sure. The, le the legends of it. And, uh, you know, I think probably when they, I don't know, Starcade probably was available maybe on like the, WWE 24 seven or something. I finally got a chance to watch it. I don't know if I'd ever seen it before that. 
uh, ever. Uh, so yeah, as well after the time there, but yeah, I mean, just kind of when it comes down to, you know, when you think of dog collar matches as a thing, <laughs> like, you know, that's the, obviously the one you think of. And yeah, I think, uh, you know, on the first Starcade, that was, that was the gimmick match there. That well, I guess, well, I guess it was one of the gimmick matches. There was actually a couple ones there, but that's probably one of the most notorious ones um, right there. And uh, just absolutely bloody and that you know i don't think roddy piper's hearing was never the same after that one either so yeah the thing that makes that all the more amazing is that you know everybody obviously knows about the starcade match um which was you know obviously going to be i i think the, the the most famous of the matches the one that everybody saw right you know clearly uh however i think the most remarkable thing about it is that the Starcade match was only the first because they had dog collar matches throughout the rest of the month of December to the point where they were literally having a dog collar match on December 9th. And then two days later, they were having another dog collar match. Uh, they did this match on Christmas. They did this match the day after Christmas. They did this match the day after the day after Christmas. And then the day after the day after the day after Christmas, like, to think that they were doing that match and we always hear, you, you know, people talk about the territories and, 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 and the idea that like, you know, I had to wrestle the same guy eight times in one week. And, and sometimes you think to yourself, well, no, they didn't do that. And it's like, not only did they do that, but much like the first um, great American bash tour where they were doing, you know, the same cage match every night for like three weeks straight, like just imagine the toll, you know, <laughs> and, and the amount of blood spilled, you know, you wouldn't look, I don't, I don't say this a lot cause I don't think it's my place to, cause I've never done it. I'm not in the business, but I'm just going to say it this time, but you wouldn't even have to gig yourself the next night. Cause you'd still be open from the night before. Like <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you wouldn't have to worry about going down to the drugstore and buying a pack of razor blades for that night. You know, um, it's kind of incredible to think that they did that match, like, you know, three, four nights in a row. Uh, Oof. Yeah. You know, it's worth mentioning that his time in Mid-Atlantic, uh, there are other big names that he was in the ring with. Obviously, Jack he beat Jack Briscoe um, for for the Mid-Atlantic Championship. You know, I mean, like, he, they, you know, he, he feuded with any name that you can possibly think of, had incredible matches. And at, by this point in his career, you know, we're talking matches with guys, uh, you know, running the gamut from Andre the Giant to Tatsumi Fujinami. You know, he'd spent some time in Japan. He'd done so much in his career already. And we're talking about a guy who's not even 30 years old. Um, and of course his next destination after Crockett is the WWF and he gets up there and there was only one spot that Vince McMahon wanted for him. And it, it was, you know, not only was it the spot to be in for a heel in, in, in the mid eighties, but without Piper, you arguably don't get WrestleMania. You know, at least not the, not not what we know. You know, you don't get any of that stuff, and 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 it's that great kind of you know chicken or the egg sort of thing. It's like without Piper, there is there is no Hogan the way that we know it. You know, arguably without Hogan, there's no you know visibility or platform for a guy like Piper to do everything that he did. Um, it's also worth noting that you know all of the wrestling that he had done before he went to New York. Uh, he didn't spend a whole lot of time in the ring once he got to New York compared to 
the you know what he had done before and part of that is because he was banged up you know he'd been banged up for a while um you know even even by the time he got to georgia he was pretty banged up uh i've heard in interviews talking about how you know by this point he already had a bum knee he had you know he had a shoulder that was messed up he had you know uh, his hip which would bother him for you know pretty much the rest of his life you know there all sorts of injuries that had already added up and this is a guy who's not even 30 years old yet um but here he is. He's in the WWF. That's where I think all of us really know and love him from the most. Uh, certainly most of the listeners to this podcast and certainly the three of us sitting here. So, uh, Mike, I want to know, what's your earliest memory of Roddy Piper? Um, it, it has to be sometime in 1984. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I... I remember him with Mr. Wonderful, um, like when he was a mouthpiece, you know, he wasn't wrestling. And I think that was very early on um, because I think he was, he was still banged up from the dog collar matches and was just not, not wrestling yet. And so this was sort of their way. And I think he, it was a couple guys who he, he would talk for. I remember, but what I really just remember was, you know, the lead up to that first WrestleMania where, no matter where you went, you saw something with Piper. It was like with Snooka, with the coconut, with Hogan, with, he was just, you hated him. And you just thought that this guy was, you wanted to see him get his comeuppance. Yeah. Um, you know, cause he was just so obnoxious. And that's, that's really what I, I remember, you know, like, you know, just him being mean, you know, that was as a kid. I just looked at him as a mean guy. I forget there was the Frank, uh, oh, what the heck? It was this guy, wrestler. I oh. never, I don't even remember oh, Fra- seeing Frankie Williams. <laughs> Thank you, Frankie Williams. Like, I don't even remember seeing Frankie Williams wrestle, but I remember Piper's pit with Frankie Williams. Yeah. yeah. And well, go ahead, Todd. No, I was about to say, I was just looking at Wikipedia. Funny enough, his first ever match in WWF in the 1979 was also against Frankie Williams. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Then his first Piper's pit was Frankie Williams. <laughs> but, but, but he was just, but he was horrible to Frankie yes. Williams. Yeah. I mean, he is like, like just, I mean, like everything my parents taught me not to be right. And that was Roddy Piper. You know, he was just this, you know, brash, unreasonable, unacceptable person. And you just wanted to see someone beat him up, you know, and, you know, like I said, he just put over, I mean, you know, Jimmy Snooker was a great wrestler, but he wasn't a great promo, you know, you know, he just wasn't yet. Piper did basically that whole thing. You know, I know you'd never get away with that whole, uh, you know, that, that whole scenario today, you know, it it just, it would be very difficult for any wrestler to try and pull that off um, in today's society. But the but the thing about it was, it wasn't like you were like, well, that was you, you didn't have the Internet now where people started like raving about what a great job Piper did putting over Snooker. Right. You just thought how despicable and horrible it was what he did to Snooker. And that's what made it work was that you, you didn't have like Smarks, you know, sort of like complimenting Roddy Piper as he did all these psychological ploys he just was bad and you knew he was bad and you wanted Jimmy Snooker to get his hands on. Him. Right. And, um, and any, any, I thought elevated Snooker in that feud to the point where it, the match didn't matter. You just wanted, you know, him to hurt 
Piper. That was what you wanted. Yeah. You know, it's amazing too, to think that Snuka, like Snuka was already pretty well established by that point. You know, I mean, he'd already, he'd already done the, the leap off the cage with Morocco in Madison Square Garden. He'd already, you know, had some matches against Backland. He'd already, you know what I mean? Like he was already pretty well established by that point. And yet you're absolutely right. Like Piper, who's new to the territory, somehow elevates the guy that had already been there a while, you know, that, that, that maybe, you know, was still, was still had some shine on him. Don't get me wrong. It's Jimmy Snuka, but at the same time, like wasn't setting the territory on fire, if you will. And I think that, um, that again, that's just a testament to his ability. Um, and, 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 and it's funny too, because he, one of the things that early on, he kind of told himself that he wanted to do is he never wanted to do the same thing twice. So that when he, you know, every time he went out there, he wanted to try to do something a little different. And, you know, we always, we always think about how quick on his feet he was, how quick he was. And there's no doubt that he was quick. But one of the things that Piper himself has kind of admitted, uh, and, and, and we know for a fact now because of the notebooks that, that his family has shared, and, and the thing that he said himself, he worked at it. He was writing stuff down all the time he was writing 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 just like a stand-up comic would write you know to find the, the the new thing to find the next thing to say and piper's pit is 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 kind of the the exemplar of that the idea the idea that he was able to do different things with different guys whether it's frankie williams or jimmy snooka or you know or whoever the guy is and i think that um that that was kind of the key to his early success in the WWF is you really did never know what you were going to get. And, but, and, but who would have thought, but, but who would have thought that he would go from that, everything you just said right. about Piper's pit to then becoming part of what arguably, you know, becomes part of the whole WrestleMania launch, but really the WrestleMania that made WrestleMania was WrestleMania three, right? Absolutely. That, that that's yeah. when it went yeah. from event to spectacle. Right. And it was all built around Hogan Andre. And where did they choose to kick that off? Piper's yeah, pit. On Piper's pit. Exactly. Right. I was, I, I was mean, gonna, that, that wasn't an accident. Well. Vince never did anything like that, you know, just as a, well, let's see what happens. Right. You know, that, I mean, that was, he knew that Piper was the guy he could trust to put that moment over. Yeah. And, and, and to me, that's, again, we talk about him not doing something twice or him being versatile. Here he goes from being, this vile, awful person with Frankie Williams, with Jimmy Snuka, with everybody who's on on the pit, to all of a sudden now, he he's the sympathetic figure for Hogan to be with. Yeah, I, you're right. I mean, when he when he looks at Hogan as Hogan is there, distraught, the blood coming down his chest, the fake tear, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like, and he looks at Hogan and he says, you know, will you or will you not? Like, though, even just the way he asks the question. It's the perfect setup for Hogan's response. So no, yes or no, yes or no. Right, right. You know, it, 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 it's just as important, if not in some ways more important than Hogan saying yes to the match. You know, it creates that drama, it creates that feel. And that's something that he was always so good at to the point that years later when he would come back and not even be in the ring, you know, even like even his segment with Morton Downey at WrestleMania five, when he goes out there, you know, I told you, don't be blowing smoke in my face. Like the whole thing. It's just like and 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 then, of course, you know, the segments later on with 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 Austin and Jericho and, every, you know, anybody else that he stepped into the ring with. Like 
it was always, it was always something special. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I just, I, 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 I could, I could go on and on about that aspect of, of his career because I do think that it's, it's, it's incredibly important. And it's one of the things that, um, it was one of the things that was sometimes missing from his run in WCW. Um, I actually liked his run in WCW at the time. I remember at the time I was so happy to see him again. Um, and, you know, I didn't care that he was a little older or, or, you know, didn't move quite the same way or whatever. He was still the perfect foil for Hogan. And to think that he was, you know, the baby face now, and he was the guy that so many people were rallying behind to kind of carry the WCW banner or whatever was, uh, it, it, you know, it was beautiful it worked. It worked. I, you know, I don't care what anybody says about the matches, you know, it, it, even, even still you go back and you watch those matches. I don't care if they're technical masterpieces or not. You go back and you watch those matches and it's still everything you want in wrestling. You know, it's a baby face versus the heel. It's the drama. It's the back and forth. It's, the, you know, it's everything that you kind of want from that. And, and the crowd is eating it up. You know, it's not it, it's not like today where I think that a crowd would kind of, you know, crap on that. It, I mean, the crowd was totally into it. Um, and I think that, again, that so much of that is because of, of what he did. Um, Todd, you know, what's your earliest memory of Piper? Well, I kind of came into wrestling a little late. Um, so my, you know, I never actually got to see him really as a heel uh, at all. Uh, so my, my earliest memory was that, that uh, Piper's pit with Hogan and Andre mm. um, seeing him in on there. And then everything kind of the build up with him uh, with Adrian Adonis at WrestleMania three, um, you know, there, and then obviously everything after he came back later on and had the intercontinental title run, stuff like that. I probably saw more of him then in, in that kind of second run, but I, I missed most of his prime heel time, you know, first time around. Obviously, I've gone back and watched, you know, all the key moments there, all the you know, a lot of the key uh Piper's pits and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, he's he's been a baby face most of the time for me, <laughs> so. sure, sure. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny because uh I don't I don't actually specifically recall like what my first memory of Piper uh is. Um you know, I started watching wrestling when I was really young and uh you know, my earliest memories uh about wrestling, he was just there. You know, it, it, it's like he was he was just there piper's pit was there he was there you know it, it my earliest memories are going to be in the, you know, the lead up to wrestlemania one um and not just earliest memories about wrestling literally just some of my earliest memories period are about professional wrestling and 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 around that time uh you know i was i was uh, just about not quite four years old um but i i you know i remember so much of that of that period and uh and you know Piper to me was just, I was, you know, obviously I was a Hogan guy. I loved Hogan, but, but there was something that I always loved about Piper. And I remember when he had, you know, when he kind of had the layoff for a bit and he came back around the time for WrestleMania three for the feud with Adonis and he was the baby face. I loved every second of that. And I remember, you know, watching WrestleMania three and, and towards the end of the match when it was kind of like, you know, the thought was that he was, you know, saying goodbye and he was heading off to Hollywood and going to do movies and all that sort of stuff. And I just, I was like, ah, oh, gosh, I hope that's not so, you know, I wanted to stick around and, you know, he, he didn't, but he would come back. Um, 
And, and one of his comeback stints in WWF is responsible for what is probably my favorite Roddy Piper match. And that is his WrestleMania match against Brett, the Hitman Hart, um, which I think is arguably his, his greatest match period. Um, I think that match is a work of art. I think the setup to the match is beautiful. Uh, and I think that the, the, the way that Piper was able to be the baby face going into the match, but that, that Hart was obviously the baby face on his way up and that Piper was able to play the match in such a way that he could kind of be a bit of a heel, but not ever go heel and eventually cause so much drama that when he picks up that, you know, when he, when he picks up the weapon to, to hit Piper or to hit uh, Hart, the fans are like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Please don't do it. And the fact that the match ends up ending the way that it does, like, it's just, it was, that match was laid out perfectly. And I know that Brett was responsible for that, you know, that Piper had input obviously, but that, you know, that was Brett's match basically. Um, another thing that's remarkable about that match is that, uh, Brett wanted to get color in the match. At that time, there was a strict no blood policy in WWF. And he was able to do it so subtly that he was able to convince Vince once he got to the back that it was a hard way. And, you know, it was on accident that he didn't, you know, that he didn't blade, uh, which is also just a testament to how great Bret Hart is. But uh, I love that match. I love that match. So, um, you know, again, it doesn't have to be like a technically great match or whatever. But Todd, what's your favorite Piper match? Oh, geez. Um, I always think of more of the promos and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, you know, I think, um, and, and, and the different spectacles. I mean, like, um, you know, him and Mr. T in the boxing match, like, sure, is iconic. It's awful. You know, it's not very entertaining of a match, but the whole thing and the spectacle is great. And that's why I tend to always think of it more so than any particular match and any technical thing there in particular uh, when it comes to him. I love, I love too the idea that, you know, behind his feud with Mr. T that, you know, some of it's did stem from real life that Piper mm-hmm. was not a fan of, you know, the, the celebrities coming in and having a spot on the card and that he felt, you know, he needed to protect the business kind of thing. And that Pat Patterson apparently kind of riled him up beforehand and was like, you know, if this guy tries to take any liberties out there, you've got to be the one to shut him down. Cause you're the one that I know can do it. Nobody else. Hogan can't do it. He's his partner, you know, and, and, and all respect to Orndorff and Orton, but you know, they're not, you, you've got the skills to do that. And, 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 and that, and that Piper viewed him as an interloper and that, you know, the other thing that kind of about Piper that he said uh, in his book and, and also in, in documentaries is that for him, wrestling was the family he never had. It was, you know, it, it, for him being able to kind of like walk in and be a part of this club and, and, and be a part of something and, and, and kind of have these, these guys, you know, this family, this, this kinship, this fellowship, it was very important to him. And so to see someone come in there and not necessarily be a part of that and, you know, getting all of this notoriety, et cetera, it was, you know, it was difficult for him. And so I think that that really, you know, that real life kind of animosity obviously played into uh, their, their feud uh, and, and then that boxing match. Oh man. And that's the thing too, is that Piper, you know, for as, 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 for being one of the greatest of all time, no matter what anybody says, when you, when you, when you look at what a professional wrestler is supposed to be, you know, Piper, Piper's one of the, the best that ever do it, ever do it. 
That said, unfortunately, he's definitely been in some stinkers. And one of those stinkers, of course, was his match with Jerry Lawler, which should have been, on paper, a match between Roddy Piper and Jerry Lawler should be awesome. But that match is terrible. Terrible. That said, Mike, what's your your favorite Roddy Piper match? Well, I I think just like... You know, Todd said, and I talked about a lot of these moments, you know, you think of moments with Piper. Piper had a way to make a moment. I think a match I never saw at the time was probably that dog collar match. I mean, it's 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 an amazing match uh, that he had. Um, I loved the his retirement match, you know, against Adrian Adonis, you know, the whole. You know, they had stolen Piper, you know, Piper's pit. He stole Ace, you know, and and it was like this. He gets back. It wasn't a great masterpiece of a match, but it was you got what you wanted out of that match. Um, I I also to me, the other great moment, and it was when I had just graduated from college. Um, I was I hadn't watched wrestling for a few years, but my brother, you know, uh, my younger brother got me convinced to do it. Uh, watched some with him and I was, I saw, I think I saw the, um, I, I can't remember if it was Nitro or, or if it was like a pay-per-view that fall. Um, but when Piper came back to face, you know, to, to, to confront Hogan mm-hmm. um, in WCW and just the reaction with all that, um, you know, with, with the crowd, you know, again, you know, my early, you know, memories of Piper, this, horrible heel with Hogan. Right. And, you know, now he's the baby face and Hogan's the horrible heel, right. Who's running people down and insulting their intelligence. Um, it was sort of, I don't know, I guess maybe the, the, the total role reversal was what made that stand out. That's not a match. I mean, they did have matches as you were talking about, but that was another Piper moment that, that just sort of really, um, stood out to me. Yeah. It's I was going to mention one. There's one more Piper moment that I think is, is, is probably pretty significant to Mike and I, because I think, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's for Mike. I believe for myself, we only saw Roddy Piper wrestle in person one time. Yeah, that's right. And that's that, that was in the 2008 Royal Rumble <laughs> where him and uh, Jimmy Snooker were uh, mystery uh, entrants there. And just here, you know, we saw the, you know, Jimmy come out and then just to hear the Roddy Piper, you know, bagpipes and him come out. To, in Madison Square amazing. Garden. In Madison Square Garden. It was, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't believe I didn't bring that up. That You're right, Todd. That was, that was really cool to hear the bagpipes in Madison Square Garden was, yeah. was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Not his biggest in-ring work. To your no, not at all. <laughs> he did not look the healthiest in that match, I will say. But, you know, it was great to see him. Though. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was fun. definitely a lot that of was... fun, yeah. Um, yeah, speaking of the bagpipes, uh, I, I, I always love the, the story that, um, you know, the way he got his name because he you know, came up to the to the pipes that, uh, you know, they didn't know what to call him. You know, they knew they, they, they called him Roddy the Piper and eventually they just dropped the, 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 and eventually, you know, it just, it just turned into Roddy Piper. Um, uh, which proves, you know, that the bagpipes were very important. Um, I, I think too, that one of the things that was kind of amazing about Piper, especially as his career wore on, you know, past the mid eighties, kind of into that late eighties period is that he was one of the few wrestlers that could blend, you know, truth 
with the fiction um, for an emotional response. And oftentimes that would have to do with being a father. You know, famously, that was one of, you know, his Piper's pits when he when he went out and he said that he was he was going away so he could be a father because he wanted to be there for his daughter, um, which I think is just, you know, amazing. And, and again, kind of a testament to the fact that here's a guy who with with the way he grew up, the business that he was in, the lifestyle of the drugs and the alcohol and everything else that he Roddy Piper spiraled up. You know, this is a guy that didn't have to be a good father and by all accounts was an amazing father. And, and, and part of that being because he, he went away, you know, here's a guy who's in his early thirties and he's just sort of like, I'm done. You know, I'll see you guys later. I'm going to go raise my kids. And sure. He would come back periodically for little stints here or there or whatever. But uh, I think his, you know, the opportunities that he, that he got in Hollywood, obviously, and, and the opportunity to be at home, and, and not on the road and, and, and not having to indulge all those vices, if you will, uh, you know, eventually kind of made him a little better off. Um, and, you know, he would continue to, to do that throughout his career, you know, and, and, and uh, in his WCW days, even bringing up his injuries, bringing up, you know, uh, certain things from his past and, and using those as kind of fuel for the fiction. Um, I think, uh, you know, kind of, again, just with his style, uh, oftentimes, and even the stuff that he was doing in LA, uh, it wasn't so much what he was doing always, but it was how he did it that made him an innovator and made him special. Um, he didn't always do things that hadn't been done before, but he did them in ways that hadn't been done before. Yeah, no, I think that's the beauty of Piper. I think you just summed it up. Why do we waste all this time talking, Sam? You, you just you, 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 you distilled it all right I, down. I had there. to do. I had to do a spotlight, man. What, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, look, you do not throw rocks at a man who's carrying a machine gun. You know, just when you think you got the answers, I go and change all the questions. The guy had a line for everything. He worked his ass off to do it. He is without a doubt, one of the most deserving names to the title of legend of wrestling. And we are so fortunate to have him in the game, not only as a black and white card, but as a color card. So Mike, I would love it if you would regale us once more with the story, maybe, maybe even something you haven't told us before of how that came to be and how we have Roddy Piper in color. Well, it really all started at, um, CAC, um, you know, Chad and uh, I think Tim and met uh, uh, Piper's widow and his two of his kids and they got to talking. They seemed interested in the game. I got their information from Chad after CAC and we didn't hear anything back. Um, and it just, it was one of those things where we kept chasing it and chasing it and chasing it. And finally I did, you know, get in touch with Kitty and it came together very quickly once Kitty. And I know there's all this controversy with the online people about why that we didn't get Piper online. It has nothing to do with the family not wanting to be good to game fans it's I they did everything they could do that they felt was appropriate um 
Kitty, when I went, I went back to her at the last minute and said, you know, we really want to do this giveaway card for Piper's pit. Um, but I don't want to do it without clearing it with you. First, you gave me permission to do a card, but not the second card. And she said, you're giving it away to people. I said, yeah, it's for, uh, we're not going to sell it, you know, after the fact. Um, and she said, Oh, if it's a giveaway, then absolutely. I think it's great. You know, and, and she just wanted to approve the art she did. And, but I mean, they are really just good people who want to do right by the business. And, you know, Kitty wants, you know, Roddy's legacy um, to be, you know, a good one with, with fans. And, you know, they were just, you know, really, really um, fantastic about the whole thing. And, you know, I could just say that she's very gracious and we're very lucky that, um, you know, this wasn't a, you know, we couldn't bid enough money for online or something like that for all those online fans out there. This was just a plain and simple they had an agreement with somebody else and they didn't, you know, she didn't feel comfortable doing that, even though this is, you know, what probably would have been okay to her, you know, their word and reputation is more important than anything else. And that's, I, I have tremendous respect for it. That's awesome. Absolutely. I love that. And I mean, and I don't know, in this day and age, you know, there's lots of people who promise you stuff and then don't deliver, um, you know, and I, I don't know how you anyone can be critical of someone who, you know, their word is the most important thing. And mm-hmm. whether it was legally, you know, whether they could do something or not, they just didn't feel comfortable with it because of what their word was. And so to me, that's like, that's the that's the answer for anybody who was wondering about the online thing if I, if they hadn't heard the story before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it, look, it, I, I think that that's something that's been talked about on the on the boards, obviously, and I think that you know people again, you know, there are, there are ways to to put the card uh, minus artwork, obviously, in in your online and use it as 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 the new card stands if you want to, but just the opportunity to, to have that card official and to put into the Tragos uh, set as well. And I mean, that artwork is beautiful. And I I think it's one of those things where if you tell me that I can get, you know, so-and-so in color, regardless of who it is, but there's a hitch, I might not be able to get them online. I can only get a physical card. You know, I'm, I'm always going to be of the mind that says just, you know, get, get the card done, you know, uh, and especially when it's Piper. I mean, all due respect to a lot of the other names that are in the game and that are out there potentially to be in the game. It's, you know, it's Rowdy Roddy Piper. You, you know, you, you're going to say yes. <laughs> um, but yeah. And, and look, and this isn't about us going out and off asking, would you just do the print card and then coming back and asking for online? We asked for both up front and we were told love to do it, but can't do the second one yeah well uh, we'll sign the you know we'll sign for the first but not the second and that was right as soon as um you know kitty saw it and you know there's no there was no like attempt to you know hose you know people or, or not i know there's some you know one or two 
folks out there who, you know, tried to, you know, say that this was like some conspiracy against the online players or Phil Singer games, not doing our best to help them. I mean, literally I asked, I asked nicely twice and it didn't work out. Yeah. That's not to say I won't ask again someday. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. It's not to say that someday right? it might not just magically appear in your online account. You never know. Exactly. Right. <laughs> it could happen. Sure. But, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where we can't, uh, we, we don't always get what we want, but sometimes we try. You, just you get what you need, though. You get what you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, 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 um, I am unabashedly just, you know, a Roddy Piper fan and, and, and have been, you know, pretty much always, um, even when I didn't necessarily realize it because, you know, I, I loved Hogan so much. I didn't want to admit that I liked the bad guy too. Um, but certainly, you know, since, since WrestleMania three, uh, and most likely even before that, uh, I was a Roddy Piper fan and the opportunity to do something like this has been uh, so much fun. And the opportunity to, again, have that card, uh, I think is incredibly important to, um, legends of wrestling. Um, I could go on and on about other moments of Piper's career. There's a lot of stuff that uh, I kind of had marked out that, that, uh, you know, I either skipped over or we didn't get to uh, mostly because again, I wanted to spend a lot of time on California in particular, because I feel like it's a, it's a piece of his career that uh, doesn't get the exposure that it should because of how important it is to his career. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that if, you know, if, if, if I was making a movie about Roddy Piper's life, again, the confluence of events that led to him becoming the professional wrestler that he was, and certainly what led him to getting that spot in Los Angeles, most people would say like, you know, well, you can't put that in a movie. Nobody will ever believe it. Uh, but it's it's the way that it happened. You know, I mean, right down to the Java Rook Rock Riddle thing and him getting that spot uh, to, to do the role with Chavo and the rest of the Guerreros. Um, and, and, and I think that if I were to, to, to make that movie, um, that I would probably spend more time in, in LA, uh, than I would any other part of his career. And I would probably end the movie with, with, you know, his call up to New York, because, you know, we all know the story after that. I'd rather see everything that happens before that. Um, one thing I will say, uh, for me, uh, getting to see that dog collar match for the first time, I, I'll never forget this, it was when I was living in Gastonia, North Carolina. It had to have been probably 1994, uh, and I had never seen the match before. Uh, I'd heard about it, I'd read about it, I think, in, in an issue of PWI. Um, and, and by this point, you know, I mean, I'd seen a lot of Piper stuff, but it was all WWF stuff. And it was, uh, luckily, the video store... Uh, one of the video stores that was down the street from the high school that I would attend, I wasn't attending it yet, had a copy of the Lords of the Ring VHS, which of course had the dog collar match on it with Piper and Valentine. That's the first time I ever saw that match. And that match was just what it was billed to be a whole new level of brutality. Like it was something else. Um, and, uh, and I think it really kind of cemented my feelings on Piper kind of, you know, going forward. Um, and, and even, you know, looking back at his career prior to that, 
Uh, again, as, as I promised, I wanted to mention some of the, the resources that I used uh, for this. I wanted to give a big shout out to Rock Rims. Rock is a busy guy. Um, he's, he's knee deep in, in a couple of different projects right now, but he took the time out to address a couple of questions that I had. Um, and uh, of course, you know, his books have been invaluable. Um, Legends and Icons, A History of Olympic Auditorium in Southern California Professional Wrestling. Um, that is, you know, kind of the book if you want to know more uh, about Roddy Piper's time in Los Angeles. It's also the book if you just want in my opinion, one of the finest written books ever about professional wrestling and a beautiful history of wrestling as it pertains to Southern California that starts in the 18, you know, late 1800s and goes all the way up uh, to the to the death of the territory uh, in the 80s um, and even a little bit beyond. Um, and there's some excellent stuff in, in there uh, about you know sort of side trips about women's wrestling in Southern California, about the voices of Southern California wrestling. Uh, just an excellent book. And again, it's it's where I drew a lot of the information for his time uh, in Southern California. When It Was Big Time, A 100-Year History of Northern California Professional Wrestling by Rock Rims, also used this book for Piper's stint in San Francisco with Big Time Wrestling uh, and his feud with Moondog Maine. Um, also want to uh, give a shout out to Rock for providing me with the DVDs for Getting Rowdy, which uh, is basically, as far as I know, is pretty much all of the available footage of Roddy Piper and his time in Southern California um, compiled onto three discs. What a treasure trove. Uh, you know, obviously the quality varies. Um, some of the stuff is from the Spanish language uh, television market. Um, there's some stuff from Japan as well. Just, just an incredible treasure trove of early Roddy Piper. I mean, literally seeing Roddy Piper when he's 21 years old, you know, giving promos, 22 years old, giving promos. And to, to think of just how, it's Roddy Piper, you know, there's, it's not like, oh, this is some green kid who's got to grow into it. It's Roddy Piper. Uh, Born to Controversy, which is, of course, the official WWF documentary that was released a few years ago, uh, can certainly be found and tracked down online. It's out of print, but you can certainly find a copy. Um, if you're going for uh, the kind of the regular edition, um, it's, it's, it's not too expensive, I believe. Um, if you really, 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 really want to dig deeper um, and get a, 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 a better view, in my opinion, uh, I would encourage you to go to joedombrowski.com for Legacy Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, it is a four hour plus documentary on Roddy Piper. Now, of course, it's not going to feature matches or Piper's pits or anything like that. This is a collection of, you know, shoot interviews, basically. Um, but you're going to hear from pretty much anyone and everyone that has ever kind of touched his career. And it's done in chronological order. And of course, you're going to hear from Piper himself. Um, I, I learned so much by watching that documentary and I've, I've watched it a couple of times now. Uh, so I highly, highly recommend that. Um, and then of course, uh, there are two other books that I would be remiss to mention. And those are of course the books, um, that, that Piper, uh, himself had a hand in, uh, his, his own autobiography, uh, as well as the book that was, you know, basically his autobiography that ended up being completed by, uh, by his kids. Uh, of course, those can be found easily enough on amazon.com. Um, uh, I, I love this stuff. I love the opportunity to do it. Uh, I love doing the research. I love, I love the chance to, uh, to dig deep. Um, and uh, you know, anytime I get to talk about anything that has to do with wrestling, I'm, I'm down. Uh, I'll tell you how much I love Roddy Piper. I own a copy of hell comes to Frogtown on Blu-ray. 
So uh, for, for anybody else out there that's listening, uh, there you we'd, go. Love to hear, hear, we'd love to hear your stories about Roddy Piper. Feel free to chime in on the discussion board. Um, but that's going to bring our main event to a close. We've got a couple more things for you before we get out of here. And I'm going to kick it over to Todd to start us off with a burning question that he wants to answer. Yeah, so you know, this past week on Uncharted Territories, uh, or sorry, Uncharted Territory, they um, uh, you know, had their Q&A episode. And I think we, we've been talking, we want to do another Q&A episode here as well pretty soon. Uh, but there are a lot of really intriguing questions that were asked there and some very, per, you know, some ones that, you know, I thought were very important uh, to get people's opinions on. And, you know, there's, there's one question in particular that caught my attention that I thought was very important for us to address here on roll up as well. And that was a question from Lee Longpree about what is everybody's favorite fast food? So let's go ahead and address that right now on the podcast here. Sam, can you tell us what type of fast food, what is your favorite type of fast food? That's actually a tough one. Uh, mainly because I don't do a whole lot of fast food anymore. Uh, Stop it. Just answer the question. Certainly I can say in college, it was Taco Bell. Taco Bell was absolutely the go-to when I was mm-hmm. in college. Um, it gets a little harder now because I am a vegetarian. So there's not a lot well, of Taco Bell is good for vegetarians. Taco though. Bell is, it is, it is. But I have to admit the one thing that I absolutely love is that Burger King now has impossible burgers. And uh, so I'm not, you know, I'm not full vegan, so I can go and I can get an impossible burger uh, with cheese uh, from Burger King and I'm a happy guy. So uh, I'll do Subway a lot as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably, you know, does Starbucks count as fast food? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I'm not yeah. sure Subway counts as fast food. Well, you know, yeah. I, I'm not. A lot sure. of people are counting it there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I did. It's no, no. Come on, and it's got to like, be I, a little less healthy. You need something exactly. And I'm like, I know I have talked to you many a time uh, when you're in your car. You're, you know, we're kind of chatting, filling your game stuff, and I catch you as you're going through a drive-through. So, what, what is the answer for you? I have a, a good idea of like what it might be, but well, at one point back in the day, it was you know I would vacillate between Burger King, Wendy's. It was tough, but now I mean, now that they're here, it's Chick Fil A. I mean, it's just Chick Fil A. That's it. No, there's there's nothing quite like that. You know, uh, those that spicy chicken sandwich, the fries, the the lemonade. It's just it, it's it's a, it's a pretty tough combo. My kids would argue that they want the frosty milkshake. Um, uh-huh. But, uh, you know, that's uh, I, I think I, I'd have to go Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm kind of torn between Chick-fil-A and Taco Bell as my favorites now these days. Um, yeah, Taco Bell is my my OG one. Definitely very invested. Yeah, did did a lot. You have know, had a lot of Taco Bell things over the days, uh, over the years. Chick Fil A is not that close to me, so I have to go out of my way once in a while. But I, I do always enjoy it, as uh, Travis Heckle uh, will definitely attest to. Uh, yeah, he always. Yeah, I've always ping him whenever I'm I'm doing Chick Fil A there, and I do have a bottle of Chick Fil A sauce in my fridge as well. <laughs> I would drive 10 extra minutes for a Chick-fil-A. I would not drive 10 extra minutes for a Taco Bell. That just would not happen. All That's right. Okay. I got to do a run in. I got to do a point in time. There was a point in time in my life where I would have maybe gone for Taco Bell, <laughs> but not anymore. 
I got, I got to do a quick run in here and I got to bring up just a a couple of honorable mentions because if, if I were consuming meat right now uh, and I wanted to go to the place with just the, the, the greasiest, most awful for you, but damn tastiest fast food on the face of the planet, I would be at a Jack in the box. Like it is nobody's (laughs) business. And if I couldn't find any well, tacos, speaking of speaking of that, in the box, I would go to a rally's or a checkers. If, 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 the other one I would throw out there, and it's more of a regional one. It's not a a, a and I I know we're sticking mostly to the nationals, no, but, we can but go five guys, but no, five I, guys. That's you know that's what like, I that's, do. You call five guys fast food because like it's like, it's fast casual. It, I wouldn't say it, it doesn't have a drive through. It's much it, if Subway's fast food, then there's it's no fair. way that's that fair. five guys fair, isn't fair. fast food. Although okay. I will like, say that, this, like I don't feel like you could bring up like a steak and shake into the conversation. No, because that one you have to sit down, you order on yeah. the menu. That yeah. definitely doesn't fit. Yeah. And, but and, I walk I mean, out with a ba- I walk out with a bag of fries when I walk out of a Five Guys. You know what I mean? Like that. That that's you got to got to say something for that. Yeah, no, I'm well, you. you get a small fries and they're like overflowing out of the bag. It's 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 kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Yes, I made um, a mistake of ordering a large fry the first time I went there. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, Ooh. yeah, big, 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 big problem. A lot of potatoes died for that for that meal. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Um, but I, I am a big, I'm a big fan of regional fast food. If I'm going to a new area, I'll be like, Oh, what's, what's kind of the, the cool thing to have around here. Um, and, um, um, so down in North Carolina, there's one, uh, one down there that I really enjoy called cookout. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that one. They have so many random things on there. You can get a corn dog, you can get chili dogs, you can get the hamburgers, you can get, uh, your hush puppies, everything in there. But the, the thing that they're known for is their milkshakes. And I think on the menu itself, there's probably like 60 different milkshakes, but there's even more combinations beyond that. If you want to go beyond it, it it's, it's pretty wild. Um, <laughs> and uh, one other one I'll say that, yeah, we, we, I did a podcast uh, with uh, Chad Allen and Zach Romero. Chad, Chad was on our um, independent tournament episode uh, a couple months back. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I go jump on with them every once in a while, usually in March and do a, do a tournament based podcast with them. Um, and we did do a fast food tournament. And as part of that, we did a regional uh, regional burger chain battle Royal as part of that too, where we had the whole panel there and one by one, we were eliminating them there. Uh, I personally eliminated in and out burger from there. Cause I, I, you know, there's always a lot of talk about the in and out burger. I know I'm going to get some heat for it, but I just don't, I just don't think it's all that great. You know, mm-hmm. like the, I think their fries are awful. Now I will admit I've never had them animal style. Um, which I did, I did find out about after the last time I was there, but the, the burger is okay, but I'm like, it, it's not worth the hype to me. It, it's, it's been a long time since I had that, like probably 20 some odd years since I've had one of those, but, but I will say it's, it was my recollection. It was better than skyline chili. Oh, see, I like the Cincinnati not, chili. Though. Not to not to offend all my Cincinnati folks. Yeah, I don't think we got a ton of those. I think I think you're I think you're fair, you're safe there. Uh, but I will say the winner of that uh, regional Burger Chain Battle Royal, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe was Culver's, uh, which was definitely has really? gotten some disparaging remarks uh, from from uh, from Chad 
recently. Now I've never had had Culver's before that, but I did get to go to one when I was in North Carolina visiting my father-in-law recently. And we were actually very big fans of it. I don't know, like maybe it's different ones. I know Sam had a little bit of a disgusted look on his face uh, when I mentioned Culver's there. It's not, uh, I'm not disgusted at Culver's. I'm just kind of disgusted at the fact that that was the choice for the, like there's no better like regional burger. Actually, I take it back. I think it may, maybe, maybe I think it jobbed out to Whataburger in the end. I think Whataburger did. Oh, actually take yeah. It. See, I, I can have see tried that. Like, I would put, I would put in and out above Culver's. Like I would put Whataburger above Culver's. Like you know what I mean? Like I'm not saying yeah. that Whataburger's not bad. bad Whataburger's. Like, I've never bad. had a Whataburger either. Yeah, but he's like, but with Culver's, I was really impressed with that. I thought their burgers were really good. I like I like the custard. I thought the fries are good, and, and they had these little pretzel bites that were awesome. And I don't know. Overall, I think we were we were very impressed by it. But it might have just been a good one that we had on a good day. I have no idea. But B- believe it or not, when I hear Whataburger, I think of Beverly Shade. Oh, there you go. For your There's a story Texas there day, someday. Yeah. There's a real yeah. funny. Actually, it's, it's not that funny story of a story, but it's 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 one of those stories where I, there was a Whataburger across the street from the hotel we were staying at for the uh, in Wichita Falls, and uh, that we we were both staying in the same hotel, and uh, there was a lot of talk among the wrestlers about the Whataburger. <laughs> It's a true story. There you go. But uh, she had a great way of saying it. I can't even. I can't even do her. You know, do a Beverly Shade impression. So I'm not going to try. Yeah. I mean, if you could, you would be did, like I don't know if we'd one. Know it. You'd be like the only one on the planet that was probably doing a Beverly Shade impression. It would make you a very unique individual. I mean, you are. This is true. But this, this true. would like take you to a whole new level. I'll have to work on it. We'll see. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> All right. So fast food aside, there's one other thing that I think you wanted to get to, Mr. Tournament Master, and that is the return of the Lego Corner. Lego Corner. Yeah. So I did want to address uh, recently uh, you know, a couple of things there. I did see that Mike uh, Mike Delve did finish his Imperial Light Cruiser, he which did. looked That's pretty great. awesome. Looks great. I did see also that uh, Zeke uh, did get a, uh, a Lego set uh for christmas and he was showing that showing that off i think in the group too so it's good to see some other people in there and i was just showing to the guys before we started recording i was you know cleaning out the basement uh this weekend found some cool wrestling treasures but did also find my uh, original slave one uh lego i think it must have been the first series it's from the year 2000 which i think was not too long after Lego got the Star Wars contract, so I think it's the original one there. Uh, so I think I'm going to rebuild that uh, pretty soon to kind of go with my whole tattooing motif. And uh, at one point soon, I am I think I'm going to take the the Mike Fortune route and uh, and do you know do it like the the can make the cantina finally and do it over time. I, I might do like maybe not a bag a day, but maybe like a bag a week or something like that. Just slowly over time, just you know create create that. So, I mean, that any thing's Lego never, pro- that thing's never been opened. Never been opened. No, no. I gotta get to goes, it at one goes point. Goes for I a couple hundred dollars on eBay. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But I kind of want to build. I know, I know. I mean, it's. I mean, you, you you could give it to me, and I'll have my kids and I'll have it put together in like two days. I mean, Jack and Matthew both are like, you know, Jack especially is like a Lego fiend. Yeah. What type of the ones does he tend to gravitate towards? Is there a certain theme that he likes? Uh, he did like the internet. He has an international space station one that he did that okay. like, like crazy. 
like put it together in like a day. And I was like, yeah, that'll keep me occupied for a week, day, boom. Oh, day, there yeah. It is. <laughs> um, you know, Matthew uh, actually got a uh, Millennium Falcon for Christmas. Oh, that's one I've never gotten. I always wanted to get one of those, yeah. It was really cool, except that he then was like playing with the Millennium Falcon. And I think one of the panels is like now missing a couple parts. But, you know, hey, it's all, I'm sure it'll that- turn up somewhere. <laughs> That which version uh, of it is it? You know, because there's been not, not the five thousand dollar version. No, I know that, but it's, 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 I think it's from the the solo movie. It, no, I'm sorry, oh, yeah, no, it's, no, it's from the Force Awakens. You know that or, that version or or whatever one is. Rise, 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 Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, Rise of Skywalker. All right, folks. Well, we experienced a little bit of what you call technical difficulties on this end of the podcast, uh, but we are back now to finish things up, put you all to bed. Uh, I do want to say a couple of quick things. One, I wanted to give another shout out to Rock Rims. Uh, I cannot thank him enough. I cannot say his name enough. He's been incredibly helpful um, as we put together this Roddy Piper uh, promoter spotlight. And uh, again, I only scratched the surface uh, of not only what is in uh, his books, but uh, also of, of the help that, that he gave me. Um, so I would encourage you to seek out his work uh, if you don't already have it. Uh, it's well, well, well worth it. Uh, also wanted to give uh, my usual shout out to the one and only Matt Charlton at Shining Wizard DS over on Twitter and Instagram. His latest book, J Crowned, the J Crown edition is available now. It is incredible. I have both the physical and uh, a digital copy now. Uh, I wanted to wait until I get the physical copy to really crack it open. Uh, it's his best work yet, without a doubt. The, between the artwork and uh, the, the bios and all the work that he's put into it, it is absolutely incredible. I mean, there's so many names in this book that you're going to know, obviously, but there are so many names that I defy most of the people listening to this podcast to know anything about. So you will learn something uh, with this book, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, $20 for the physical copy, $4 for the digital. Uh, either way, I know Matt uh, appreciates it. Um, and uh, again, it's just, he's a lovely guy. So deserves all the attention uh, on his work uh, that he can possibly get. Um also wanted to throw something out there. Uh, I know I put something up on the boards, uh, but uh, I started this whole podcasting journey uh, a little over four years ago with a podcast called Fate's Wide Wheel with my friend Dennis uh, covering the television show Quantum Leap. Uh, we covered each and every single episode in depth uh, with uh, an episode uh, to each episode. And uh, of course, there's a myriad of special episodes uh, sprinkled in there throughout uh, interviews, etc. When we finished uh, our run of the show, proper we kind of didn't know exactly what we were going to do so we talked about some of the things we were enjoying other little pop culture things we took a little time off because we felt like we'd earned it after you know 100 or so episodes um we just released our 116th episode and the reason behind coming back uh is because quantum leap has been announced as getting a reboot slash continuation from nbc that will probably air on peacock could air on nbc proper i'm not sure the creative team behind it certainly has the pedigree to put it on NBC. Um, we're really looking forward to it. We're really excited. And uh, as fate would have it, no pun intended, I nope. happen to have a connection um, and, and a source on the inside this time around. So we're hoping to be able to bring you some exclusives and maybe get some creative team interviews at some point. So if you're interested in Quantum Leap, if you want to uh, know what I get up to when uh, I'm not playing or talking about this wonderful game of ours, uh, check Fate's Wide Wheel out. We are unfortunately currently experiencing a little technical difficulty with Apple Podcasts, but you can find us over on Spotify or Stitcher uh, or on our website, which is fateswidewheel.castos.com. 
mom. Uh, so we'd certainly appreciate any of the love. Uh, I'm pretty unfiltered over there. So uh, if I if I rub any of you the wrong way, just remember the guy that you listen to on Roll Up Week in, Week Out and know mm-hmm. that I'm the same dude and, and I won't lead you astray when it comes to film sync games. Um, all that said, life is good. Can't complain. Todd, do you have anything else from FedHQ? Well, I mean, the main thing here, I'll say, yeah, definitely uh, Phil Singer Games Perennial coming up in a week and a half. Make sure you go get your tickets. Uh, $12 gets you in for uh, the, the virtual con, gets you the two free cards and the, the uh, sticker, too. Uh, and then $15, so just $3 more, gets you entered into the tournaments there. And with the tournaments, we will have some pretty cool prizes. We'll be back next week to announce that. And speaking of next week, uh, we'll be back for another episode where we are going to do a character spotlight this time. And that is going to be on the original headbanging tag team from the GWF, Bruton Massacre, the Gladiators. So that's next yes. week. Yes. That'll be a heck of a lot of fun. I'm looking so forward to that. That'll definitely be a, a ton of fun. So, um, you know, other than that, I think there's only two other things that I want to do. And that is, uh, you know, to wrap up the podcast and chew bubble gum. And I'm all out of bubble gum. Well, then there's only one thing left to do. Friends, thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe, like, leave us a review. And uh, we will be back at you next week with our character spotlight on Brute and Massacre. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Keep those dice rolling. This has been the Roll Up Crew with our legend spotlight on the one and only Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs>